for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, philosophers have been asking the question, what is the good life? What is the good life? Is the good life found in a certain set of facts or a certain way of thinking or viewing the the world? Is the good life found in pleasure, in enjoying yourself with every kind of material pleasure that can be found? Or is the good life found in a hard and disciplined and stoic life? What is the pathway to goodness and truly living? And it's philosophers who have been debating this question for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But it's not just philosophers who ask, what is the good life? You can read uh, about people trying to argue for the good life in things like Good Housekeeping Magazine. Unfortunately, I think I only know some American magazines. Uh, I, maybe you could shout some Norwegian ones. But, you know, is, is, is the good life found on the home uh, and garden television network by watching, by remodeling your house, by building your temple on earth? Is the good life found in fighting for a noble cause? Is the good life found in financial security? Is the good life found in traveling or living in the right country? It's, it's interesting, as an, as an American, sometimes um, I will meet somebody from another country and they'll say, man, I, you know, I ask them what their goal and, or what they'd like to do. They're like, man, I'd really love to live in the United States. You know? Is the good life found in the United States? I can tell you no. I can tell you that from experience. Is the good life going to be found by living in Norway or Sweden or, or anywhere else in the world? No. In fact, the, the, the most failed and unsuccessful discipline in the history of the universe has been philosophy because philosophy cannot even answer its own basic questions about what the good life is. They try, and as one philosopher said, that philosophy is an alternative doctrine of salvation. It's an alternative to religion in trying to answer the basic questions of life. But philosophy is an utter failure as a discipline because they've never been able to answer their own basic questions. And the reason why is that philosophers or Journalists today or home remodelers on the home garden network, whatever it might be, they are focused by and large on the wrong thing. They are trying to find life in the glory of man. Let me say that again. They're trying to find life in the glory of man. When the only place where true life and eternal life rests is with the glory of Christ. True life is found in the glory of Christ. And as we begin this new series in the Gospel of John, 
we are going to discover that the glory of Christ is everywhere. John wants us to behold the glory of Jesus Christ and find hope and find life in his name. And recently we've gone through two sermon series that have focused more on suffering. We went through 1 Peter to find hope in suffering and we went through the Psalms of Ascents to learn our travel about our travel songs, our travel music on the road to heaven. But as you know and as we discovered in the series, there's a lot of suffering that is happening and has happened and will happen. And as our Afghani brothers and sisters specifically are experiencing in these days most acutely. But perhaps the greatest antidote that we need when we become aware of suffering is to just take some time to behold the glory of Jesus. And to find life and hope in his name. And that's what John gives to us in his gospel. We are going to behold the glory of Christ and find life in his name as we study this gospel together. On the uh, page seven of your worship folder, I've given you a few notes to help you along in this series. Uh, One of our members said this week, the gospels are so confusing because they, they seem like just a lump in a collection of stories. It'd be really helpful to have kind of a map or a, a footprint of, of what we're doing and where we're going. So I've included that for you here. And I have two things specifically here on page seven. One is what has, you could call the melodic line. What's the big theme or big idea of the Gospel of John? And we're going to look at this today. And uh, by way of an overview, the gospel of John is a manifestation of the glory of Christ through many signs and witnesses so that you may believe in him and have life in his name. And we will unpack that sentence this morning. And then I have also given you there a brief outline John is composed in four parts, a, a prologue and an epilogue, so a beginning and an end. And then there's two main parts in between, the signs of glory and the hour of glory. And I would encourage you to just kind of keep track of this as we move along in our sermon series. But one brief note on the melodic line. If, I don't know if you've ever studied how symphonies are composed or, or sonatas are composed in, in classical music. But in classical music, you have this, uh, this concept called the exposition. And the exposition lays out the theme of the whole piece of music. And then in the second part, it's developed. And then the third part, it's recapitulated. It's brought to a conclusion. And when we study a a book of the Bible, I should say any book for that matter, but when we study a book of the Bible, it's really helpful to know what the big idea or the melodic line, uh, what the main melody of the book is, so that when when we see the stories and we understand what's being said, we can see, is this in harmony 
with the main idea? Or is this like a discord? Is this, is this showing a contrast? Or is this a, a, a parallel theme or a, a harmony that goes along with the melody? And so we're going to take a whole sermon here this morning to look at the melodic line of John. And then that can, that can help us as a guide throughout our whole series together. So we're going to look at this melodic line and we'll look at it in three parts this morning. And so we'll just break it down. So to begin with, let's unpack this idea. The gospel of John is a manifestation of the glory of Christ. Let's look at that first. The Gospel of John is a manifestation of the glory of Christ. Glory is a huge theme in the Gospel of John. The word glory appears 42 times, either in noun or verbal form. 42 times. If you add up Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they only use the word glory 21 times altogether. So when you see something like that, you know something's going on. Glory is a huge theme for John. And it shows up in all four parts of this gospel, of the brief outline that I showed you. In the prologue, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we'll unpack this verse more next week when we look at John chapter 1. But John begins the Gospel with God taking on human form. And John declaring, we have seen his glory. In part two, the signs of glory, it appears on a number of occasions. For example, after Jesus does his first miracle, John writes this, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And Jesus is going to go on to do all sorts of signs that manifest his glory. In John 7:39, John says, "Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified." John 11. Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. On another occasion, Jesus said, as he's heading towards Jerusalem, and at the end of this part two of signs of glory, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. As we move into part three, the hour of glory. Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. In the high priestly prayer, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, 
that the Son may glorify you. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So glory, glory, glory appears. It shows up in part one, in part two, in part three. And then in the epilogue, part four, as Jesus is speaking to Peter about Peter's crucifixion, when Peter will follow Jesus on the pathway to the cross. John gives us this this narrative insertion. He says, uh, this editorial comment, he says, this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So we have glory in the beginning of the book. We have glory in the second part. Glory in the third part. And glory ends the book. So in the prologue, if we were to add just kind of a quick title for it, we could say prologue colon, we have seen his glory. And then as it's written in our outline here, the second part, these are the signs of Christ's glory. In the third part, it focuses on the hour of Christ's glory, the great sign, the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the book ends with a call of discipleship, saying, now this is how you will glorify God. Follow me. Glory, glory, glory. There is a couple related words to glory that are important for us to note and I want you to pick up on throughout this series. One is the relationship of glory and discipleship. Glory and discipleship. Jesus exhorts his disciples to abide in him, to abide in his word. And and then he says, and so you will be my disciples. And in John 15, Jesus says, by this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The principal means by which we glorify God in following Jesus is by bearing much fruit in him. We also see related to that discipleship call when Jesus says, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. That Jesus is glorified in you and me. And more than that, Jesus says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So that in this marvelous and amazing way, Jesus has imparted his own glory upon us. So glory and discipleship are key related ideas. But also glory in eternal life. 
When Jesus says, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And then he goes on to say, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. The concept of glory it can be hard to understand. So I want to give you three ways that John uses glory in this gospel. Three ways uh, that uh, God or John uses glory in this book. First, in respect to honor to God and Christ. Glory, John uses the word glory in respect to fame, to honor. The honor of God, the honor of Christ. Second, in respect to God's honors given to his disciples, that the glory of God is actually given to us as well in this, this amazing way, I and them and you and me, that they may be one even as we are one. The, the old Greek church fathers called this the perichoresis, this, this idea of this, this dance that in our union with Christ, we become partakers in his glory. Uh, Not in a way that blurs the the distinction between creator and creature, but in a way where we as his children are united to him and share in his glory. And third, John uses the word glory in respect to the glory of eternal life. The glory of eternal life. Life. So honor to God, honor to his people, and everlasting life, the glory of life eternal. So the Gospel of John is a manifestation of the glory of Christ. Let's turn to the second point. In the second part of the sentence, through many signs and witnesses, through many signs and witnesses. The word sign is used 17 times in the gospel and 16 of them, so 16 out of 17, are used in part two, the signs of glory. So when a word is used over and over and over and over and over again, then stops. That's a good idea that we have a structural break in the text. Some important examples in the signs of glory. John 2.11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. I said some, uh, I should say some important examples of signs, uh, glory here. John 2.23, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. John 6.2, a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. John 7.31, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. And then at the very uh, at the very close of the third part 
we have one use in John 20, 30-31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus came to do all sorts of signs to bear witness to his glory and to his deity and that he is the Christ. Some scholars have particularly noted seven signs. Seven signs, and I'll give them to you in brief. I can give them to you afterwards if you want to write them down. But there are seven specific signs, great signs or miracles, you could say, that are found in the book of signs or the signs of glory, as I've labeled it here in ver- from chapter 1 to chapter 12. Number one, Jesus turned water into wine. Number two, Jesus healed the official son in chapter 4. Number three, Jesus heals the lame man in chapter 5. Number four, Jesus feeds the 5,000 near Passover. Number five, Jesus walks on water. Number six, Jesus heals the blind man. And number seven, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And on top of that, the great sign is promised in chapter two, Jesus' own resurrection, destroy this temple, and in three days I will lift it up. I will rise again. Speaking of the temple of his body, Again, we should note the relationship of signs and glory as in the first demonstration of his glory in John 2, this the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory. And what's the point of all of these signs in John? Why is John giving us all of these signs? We have to remember the connection with faith. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man does? And the purpose statement of John in John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So these signs of Christ's glory are for the purpose that we might believe in his name and find life everlasting. Related to this idea of signs is the word our in terms of signs and witnesses. The word our appeals appears 25 times. And there's really four important occurrences in part two, the signs of glory, where Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. In John 8, 20, his hour had not yet come. And then at the close of the signs of glory, Jesus says, the hour has come. 
for the Son of Man to be glorified. And for this purpose, I have come to this hour. In part three, John says at the very beginning, part three, 13, verse one, Jesus knew that his hour had come. And John 71, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. The great and grand sign and the great and grand witness of Jesus' glory, as I've said already, is his trial, his suffering, his passion, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And the whole second half of the Gospel of John focuses on the hour of Christ's glory. We have this long farewell discourse and then the passion and the resurrection. Witness is also a huge theme in John. When you begin to study John's gospel, it is beautiful and complex. Because at one level, there's, there's a structure to the whole book that focuses on his signs and then his hour of glory. But at another level, John has interwoven these great signs. You've got seven signs. And then you also have a whole collection of witnesses, the greatest of which is Jesus himself. And he makes seven I am statements. So you have this beautiful like tapestry of literary themes and structures flowing in and out. But we have some very important witnesses in John, and it's a huge theme for him. 29 times the word witness is used. We have John the Baptist, who is the great witness. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. We have Jesus himself, who makes seven powerful I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the door. He's the gate to the sheepfold. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In the seventh, he says, I am the vine. I am the vine. In John chapter 5, we have five witnesses in one chapter of the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist, Jesus' works, the Father, the Scriptures. And John continues to treat the witnesses of the Father and Jesus' works and the crowd and the Holy Spirit and His disciples and John Himself as the Gospel continues. John says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these Things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So we've seen that the gospel of John is a manifestation of the glory of Christ. Secondly, we've seen that that glory is manifested through many signs and witnesses. And now thirdly, what's the point of it all? What's the point? 
of 21 chapters of the Gospel of John. It's so that you may believe in him and have life in his name. That you may have life in his name. Can you guess what the most used word is in John besides the word the or is or things like that? It is believe. Believe. John uses the word believe 98 times. So in 21 chapters, the word believe is used 98 times. So if we can't miss, uh, if, we, if we miss that, we're, we're really in trouble, my friends. 98 times, if we're trying to wonder what this book's all about. It's about faith. It's about belief. John has revealed the glory of Christ through many signs and witnesses that we might believe in him and have life in his name. John begins in his introduction in part one that John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And in John 1 verse 11, he says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In the signs of glory, we, we read perhaps the most famous of all belief statements that were ever written in Holy Scripture. John 3.16. It's the thing you see at like all athletic events. Somebody holding up the sign. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We learn from our Lord that belief itself is the great work that we're called to. John six twenty nine. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus says in chapter 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And when we talk about the importance of life, not only eternal life, but the life of now, uh, the life today, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that abundant life comes through faith. In the second part, we have a number of important examples, but I will give you just one. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Life is not found in studying the great philosophers whose sole focus was the glory of man. Life is found in knowing God. And in this gospel, John gives us every possible means to find our life and our hope and our joy in the glory of Christ. 
The whole point of John is that we may believe in him and have life in his name. And I want to close with this idea of life, that we may have life in his name. John uses this word life 63 times. Life, life, life. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the living water. Those who eat of the bread of life shall never go hungry. Those who drink of the living water shall never quench for thirst. If you want to wake up in the morning with purpose and with hope, it will only be found in Christ and the life that is found in him. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Brothers and sisters, let the dark, the darkness, the dark veil that hangs over you be eliminated because of the light of Jesus Christ. And as he says in chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I've told this story uh, before about the time I was working uh, between college and seminary in uh, the construction business, and I was on the bottom of the totem pole. I did all the, the dirty jobs, you know, like when you take the sheetrock down and, and uh, the mice carcasses hit your head on the way down, a lot of gross and nasty things. Um, that's what I did. And I, I felt kind of miserable a lot of days doing it. Um, but one day this, uh, this, uh, subcontractor came who did, uh, he was an HVAC guy, the guy who does air conditioning and heating and that sort of thing. And, uh, him and his partner, they, they cursed. I mean, the, the way they curse would make a sailor blush. I mean, they, they, uh, they had a foul mouth and, and I'm down in the basement one day jackhammering up part of the floor and then having to move all that stuff out. I just wasn't very happy. <laughs> but uh, this guy comes down. He and I were the first guys on the job, one of, this, one of these HVAC guys. And he says, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure. He says, why are you so happy all the time? I didn't feel happy, but there was, there was some kind of glow. Well, one of my other brothers here told me a story recently in his conversion about... Uh, how uh, he doesn't know why, but he gave off a glow where someone just said, Are you, you're a Christian, aren't you? If you, if you want to seek for glory, if you want to seek for the true life, let your life and your complexion bear witness to the glory of Jesus, to the life, the true life that is found in heaven. That is the whole reason 
John is writing. And it will end to this and conclude with this call of how we glorify God to follow me, Jesus says. If you want to walk down the path of life and joy, the abundant life now, not as false prosperity teachers say it, where you'll be rich and famous, but where you truly feel alive in the Lord and you feel his presence, then follow Jesus on the path of life. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And John writes all of these words and all of this whole gospel that we will look at in the weeks and months ahead that we might believe in him and have eternal life in his name. I would encourage you throughout this series to bring friends with. Pray that the, the, for the lost and for those that you could invite to come that need to hear the words of eternal life. As you know, as our church, we're nothing special. Though I love every one of you, and I'm nothing special. But we do have the words of life, and we delight to sing them. We delight to preach them. I hope you delight to hear them. Ask the Lord who you could bring along to hear the words of eternal life. So find your life in the glory of Christ as we study this book together. Behold, believe, and live. Let's pray.